Hello, and welcome back to another episode here on Real Resilience with Matt Lestalia. I'm super glad to have you guys. I'm going to do an interesting kind of rehashing of what we did, um, an episode I just recorded that got some technical difficulties. It was the first ever live production on here on Real Resilience, and it didn't go so well. (laughs) So the audio seemed to pick up perfectly. But somewhere in the video feed, it did not cooperate. <laughs> so there was um, just like some sort of gears spinning or uh, camera not in function background that you get during the whole last episode. So I wanted to go ahead and do that again. Um, because let me see if I can fix this a little bit. Put myself a little bit more in focus. because I um, I thought that this was really cool and really important, and it's something that's kind of lets you guys into um, what I have been working on and the projects that I have been working on, the training programs that I'm building. And so when I was building the most recent um, sub-portion, um, kind of internal lesson, of, I guess it's not most recent anymore. I finished that one and I finished the next one. <laughs> but that one that I was working on, I, I I was discussing this topic that I thought was very interesting and that you guys would enjoy. So um, let's just dive right into it, shall we? So what I what I was discussing and talking about was this idea, this concept that we tend to think of ourselves at in this kind of battle, this pull between good and evil, good and bad, that decisions in our life, there are good decisions and there are bad decisions. Um, and then we operate within that sort of framework. We operate within the guise of, are we doing things that are good for us or bad for us? And really more so, it's not even that specific or that kind of element that I'm addressing, it's more of how we're motivated to take action, right? So the, we often think that we are motivated to take action um, based on based on the idea of good and the idea of bad. We're motivated to move towards things that we see as intrinsically good and that we are repelled by things that are intrinsically bad. And now we can make arguments about whether that's true or not, whether we are drawn to good or, or pushed away from bad. But if you think about it from the sense of um, that is what we aspire towards. Um, and, and I think about this even for myself, you know, uh, when we think about how everything in our lives, all media that we consume, even the news, you think about the news and and they're telling stories that are good and stories that are bad. And, and a lot of times they're, they're bad, right? And the majority of the time it's news and it's breaking news because something is not good that is occurring that they are trying to make you aware of. And 
depending on what news you're watching, they will be spinning some sort of narrative. And I'm thinking about like local news, trying to stay out of politics as, uh, as much as I'm not, I'm not inclined to discuss politics here. I am very, um, politically aware and I'm, I like to stay politically, uh, up to date on kind of what's going on, the, the big shifts and moves and everything like, like that. What's going and specifically in U S politics. I'm not, well-versed in the governments around the world. <laughs> and so, and a lot of that just stems from my, my, my own personal interest, my own personal, uh, you know, fascination and really honestly, the romanticiz romanticization, romanticization, <laughs> romanticization, so, something like that. Uh, I like to romanticize the, the early, uh, periods of the founding of the United States. When we think about um, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and the period leading up to the Revolutionary War, the Revolutionary War itself, and kind of the how we formulated and eventually came to, uh, you know, leaving the Articles of Confederation behind and picking up the, the you know, the Constitution and, and eventually the Bill of Rights. Um, I think that all of that is, is extremely interesting. I, it, it, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I have not sat down and like, and looked at myself introspectively to the point where I have figured out why I am fascinated with that. I just know that I am. And I enjoy I enjoy reading about it. I read this like 1700 page book about the ratification called ratification. It was all about the ratification of the of the Constitution. And I loved it. I like, I absolutely, there were parts of it that were dry, admittedly, but, uh, but it wasn't just, it, it was a nonfiction book written in kind of like story form, which is my absolute hands down favorite, uh, content or media to kind of, uh, to kind of take in my favorite stimulus, um, to, to consume. And so all of that said, I try to steer clear of that here because I, as interested in that stuff as I am, I am not particular. The reason that the show isn't political and the reason I didn't create a political show is because I kept asking myself, where does real change happen? Where does real change occur? And it occurred to me that real change occurs <laughs> not in the political realm, that the politics are actually second they're, they're down this is a common phrase that i think i forget who came up with it um maybe it was breitbart it doesn't matter politics are downstream of culture um and what that means is that changes that we make in our lives are kind of based around what's going on in our world around us in our community or in our culture um, and, and that those, the cultural things that push us to make our decisions and our personal decisions that actually really influence culture, some of us much more than others, um, the personal decisions that are made actually drive the culture. And then the culture, um, shifts based around some of these key players making big decisions. And then those, once the groundswell kind of occurs, then, you know, the government just kind of has to go along with the politics have to go along with it because they want to stay at the end of the day everyone's looking out for their own self-interest and the politicians are doing the same thing and so they're looking for ways to to remain in office 
and in so doing, they, you know, lick their finger, put it up in the air, feel which way that the culture is shifting, and they try to align with that. Um, and some try to stick with it with a, their own principles, and some of it really sway just whichever way it goes. But at any rate, it doesn't really matter because they're all looking to just kind of get reelected and hold their position because that's that's where their safety and their security is. That's how they meet their massive hierarchy of needs. You know, it's that's how they've chosen to do it. And so they will continue to take actions to make sure that they're there. <clears throat> this is far more political than any show that I've ever done, probably. Uh, <laughs> and and all of that is just to say that I chose to do this show, one, because I'm passionate and I love the topics that we discuss here. And I love helping people discover tactics and, and strategies to remove, to, to one, either remove obstacles from their way so that their path towards a well-lived life is a little bit easier, but really more so to look at those obstacles and, and to see them as kind of opportunities as launching boards, springboards to an even better state. Like maybe that obstacle you can actually maneuver in such a way that it brings you to a different part of the path. Like you climb up this rock that takes you instead of zigging all the way around, you're like, oh gosh, now that I went through this crazy hard situation, this crazy hard uh, event that occurred in my life, now I actually realize that I can operate differently. And then it kind of veers your path in it and it makes it a little bit easier. And so that's really, that's really the goal. And I think that doing that and in, in people's lives, that enables you guys to make choices in your life. So you go out there and you're the people who are kind of shifting the culture and then that culture will shift the politics. All of that is for me saying that you'll hear good and bad news stories, right? That's the, that's the type of show this is going to be. So, so yeah, in the news, but then I, even that is is lesser than when you think about like watching TV shows, watching movies, watching series on on whatever your favorite Netflix, Disney, Hulu, whatever. Um, you watch stuff there, and it's very clear that there is a good and a bad. Now, as we've developed and we've we've grown over time, we've come to find uh, more and more intricate characters more nuanced characters where like good guys aren't fully good guys bad guys aren't fully bad guys you kind of get the feel of people's motivations and what what spurred them to go a certain way then at the end of the day there's there's a good element that you're rooting for and there's a bad element that you're not it's some some real clever movies will have you rooting for the uh, bad guy which is fun <laughs> uh but yeah so but again so all of these things are influencing us to conceptualize the world and, and, and to motivate us to move in what we believe is our good and positive directions and move away from things that are bad. And so that seems very pretty straightforward and incontrovertible other than the fact that when you look at your life and the decisions that you make, the decisions you make are not typically assigned they are not most, let's let's put it this way, they are not most adequately assigned under good, motivated to do good or motivated to to produce good outcomes or motivated to to stray away from, to, to shift away from bad or negative outcomes. It's something more along the lines of we like to operate 
within spheres, within areas, within domains that we are familiar with. And we like to stay away from things that we're not familiar with. <laughs> I could veer that off into politics all day too, but I won't. So really, when we think about this, it's it's not about being motivated, motivated by good and bad. We are that, but I feel like that's more of a subset of what I just said. It's more of a subset. When we find a place that we are familiar with, a place that we know, a place that we're comfortable in operating in, then we are much more um, inclined to choose between the good and the bad within that domain. But we're staying away from the unknown. And, and that is where <clears throat> even those that are striving to do good, striving to be better, oftentimes can, can find themselves um, at, you know, at a fault because they're not, if you're not putting yourself in a position to experience new things, uh, you, you know, well, first you have really have to question why, you know, why is it that we want to stay away from the unknown? What drives us to want to stay to the, to the known and a very baseline kind of, uh, behavioral evolutionary kind of concept. And it's, it's not even that concept, but it's, it's rooted. You can find roots in it is the negativity bias. So what's the negativity bias? Well, if you don't know, basically, um, we are built, we are designed, we are evolved to, to highlight things that are super negative. And we are, we are very much inclined to not necessarily remember in great detail, the best things that happen, the, the best occurrences, uh, you know, but we are inclined to remember in great detail the things that are very bad. And you might ask yourself, like, why would we be so inclined towards behavior that sounds like it would drive us all to some sort of terrible state of depression? And well, when you go back, like I said, it's it's kind of rooted in our evolution and evolutionary biology. It's very interesting because you think about evolutionary psychology and biology, uh, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> all I know is that when you think about it and you think about the negativity bias in the context of kind of a hunter-gatherer society or uh, early earlier man, um, you deal with a lot more life-threatening dangers day in and day out than you do now. And, and so when you think about it basically like if you're going out from your cave and you're going to go try to hunt an animal and you're taking a certain path and you are with a, little, a group of, you know, your hunter buddies and Jimmy over there gets bitten by this thing that's wrapped around a tree branch and or that's coiled up on the ground and doesn't have any legs and Jimmy dies very, pretty quickly, uh, you very adequately and very appropriately and very expeditiously figure out that uh, you need to avoid the little coiled up things that are on the ground. Um, and, and if you notice, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm out and walking around in like the woods and the wilderness, then, and I see things that look like snakes, even in your yard, if you see like, if you have a hose that's kind of uh, wound up uh, and it's kind of covered maybe in some bushes or whatever, and you walk by and you see it, like you might react like, oh, that's a snake. And that's like, that's like built into who we are. That's how important it was 
for us to be able to quickly identify what a snake is and to appropriately assign an emotional reaction fueled by chemicals that will intrinsically or, or you know, endogenously push us to a certain behavior, which is get that freak out of Dodge, like get out of there. You have no business, like move away, danger, 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 um, not safe. And so that's part, that's like the negativity bias, right? We are going in. So you may not remember exactly where that bush was that had the berries, but you will absolutely remember what that snake looks like. And you will absolutely remember where Jimmy got bit. <laughs> and so that in a nutshell, without going too crazy down a rabbit hole, that is a, is a, I believe a fair summation of what the negativity bias is and why it exists. So having lived in that manner for much longer than we've lived in the manner that we live in now, uh, we are inclined to still have that root inside of us that, that we are going to be inclined towards that kind of negativity bias, right? And so where are we most likely to encounter things that can hurt us? Well, you know, in places that we don't know. When we've mapped out, think about like a cat, right? When a cat goes into a house for the first time, or even a dog goes into a house for the first time, what are they going to do? They're going to go and immediately, well, a cat specifically is going to like go hide itself in the room and it's going to stay there. It's going to find a dark corner and it's going to, it's going to not be around. And anyone that's had a cat that's moved with a cat will know that when you move and your cat goes in, just don't expect to see your cat for a couple of days because your cat's going to be in total freak out mode, completely change its environment. So it's going to go to a room. It's going to hide itself in a corner and it's going to wait and kind of like skulk around and figure out that room slowly but surely and then realize, okay, this room is not a threat. I can move from this room into other rooms and one at a time and kind of skulk around there until I figure, until I map this whole thing out and then I'm good. But... I have to figure out the this unknown piece by piece in order for me to feel comfortable there. Dogs are more like, oh, I'm gonna go check it out, I'm gonna smell everything. Like, but they're still gonna go around and they're gonna explore, they're gonna try to figure out their new environment. And they're more like, I'm gonna do things until you tell me to stop and then your boundaries will tell me what's safe and not safe. So that's kind of the difference between cats and dogs. I love dogs, we got two, two Newfoundlands. Um, and they're great, so. Uh, and they were absolutely of that, that mentality where they were like, well, just go do this. And, and if you don't tell me it's wrong, then it's gotta be good and safe. <laughs> All right, man, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, uh, but yeah, so that is a, a big reason why we don't want to go into the unknown. We don't want to be hurt, you know? And so let's fast forward to today we're not operating anymore in this environment of if we go into this space, it's going to kill us. Um, we are more operating more in an environment where if we go into an unknown space, we can be hurt in ways that are, that we map in our brain to be as significant as we did with death in the past. Let me elaborate a little bit further. So we, view 
for good reason and for more evolutionarily biological reasons, we view social ostracization. God, I messed that word up too, man. I'm not on it today. Tell you what, it's because I've messed around with this recording, this equipment for so long before I could get this working right. I, I'm a little fried. I'm a little fried, but we're going to get through it. So being ostracized socially, you run into the same kind of emotional impact that you would have going <clears throat> that from from kind of like a, a significant uh, injury or potentially death in the past. And that is because, I mean, again, rooted back, like I was saying, uh, in our evolution, we evolved as, you know, herd beings, as group beings, social animals. And our ability to socialize, our ability to get along, our ability to to collaborate and work and, and you know, parse out the work to different people for different things and different responsibilities, that ability, that capacity is is what enabled us to survive. And so we we associate survival with our ability to to manage you know social interactions. And if we got ostracized from that group if if we did something that was not acceptable like we we saw people steal food and they got booted out like okay stealing is not okay we will be booted out and we will most likely die on our own <clears throat> if um if you did anything anything that violated the kind of social pact norms and that got you booted out was not good so we carry that with us so you think about that in in the sense of um, what we fear and why we fear and, and, and tie that in with the unknown, right? And so you're, you're, you're afraid to operate in the unknown and especially in an unknown for you that you've seen other people fail in. A, a very easy or common one to think about with this is, um, well, we'll start with, we'll start with this one. I'll do two. I'll do two examples. So one is like a, like a dating or um, a romantic interest kind of situation. And so if you are romantically interested in somebody, let's say it's like a colleague or a coworker and you're actually working back in the office now because you're able to do that. So cool. Let's say that's the case. Or, or you, I'm sure you can recall that when that was the case. So you're in the office and maybe you go in to the break room. Okay, let me set this up a little bit better. So you're interested in this person that you work with and but you're you're extremely nervous or shy and haven't um engaged with this person definitely haven't engaged with them about uh about your feelings about your 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 interest and 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 absolutely haven't solicited them for a date or anything you know for any sort of romantic relationship or any sort of relationship outside of work you just kind of see them at work you think that they're pretty, you think that they're handsome, and you're like, I would be interested in dating that person and getting to know more about them. And what some people, when when we're talking about fear of the unknown, right? So if this shoe fits, wear it, right? <laughs> so this is more common than you might think for those of you that are like, does this really happen? Yeah, it does really happen. So think about this from the, the you know, this is probably not an uncommon occurrence. So you go in and you're, show up in the morning and you're going to refill your coffee and and you might see, you might pass by them on your way to the break room or maybe you see them in the break room and they're like hi and you're like hey and uh, you kind of just keep going by and you walk away from that experience what do you think 
how do you think you walk away? What what kind of emotion are you thinking? You're probably thinking, man, I wish I could have said something to her. Yeah, that's probably there too. Um, that's absolutely there. There's definitely another part though that's really weird and kind of counterintuitive. That is that there is a sense of relief. And why would that be the case? You can think about this again, like with the, well, we'll stick with this. So the sense of relief, right? So what would produce a sense of relief? Well, the sense of relief comes from avoiding the unknown and, and avoiding the, what you consider to be uh, the, the negative impacts that could come from operating that unknown. Because the unknown here is, is how that person will respond to you. And your fears are, well, maybe she'll laugh in my face. Maybe she'll think that I'm harassing her and turn me into HR and I'll be fired. You know, maybe something will happen that will reduce me in not only her eyes, but in the eyes of the people that I work around and can then ostracize me again from this employee professional relationship group that I'm in. You know, maybe it happens in front of my friends and they all make fun of me and then and then I, I'm a lesser person because of it. All of those things are potential realities uh, and we are weighing them more heavily than the positive outcomes or even the neutral outcomes that could come from it um, because of that negativity bias. And, and, and that's driving, right, the fear of the unknown and, the fear, and it's kind of the cyclical thing that's happening. And so what happens as a result of that? Well, we get into this habit of doing, of, of ensuring that this kind of happens over and over again, that these types of interactions happen over and over again. And so we will, uh, you'll start to see behaviors built upon this because it's one of those things where like, okay, well, nothing bad happened. I got this sense of relief. And because nothing bad happened and I had the sense of relief, then that's actually promotion of that emotion and promotion of that type of response. And so you, you then act your next way kind of building on that. And so maybe next time, like you seem like you're kind of like making yourself actually physically smaller. So like you bring your, both your hands on your coffee mug and your head's kind of down and you're like, Oh, hi, like look up briefly, maybe. <laughs> and you walk by the person and, and don't say anything. And, uh, and, and that is another, that's, that's another like prey behavior where you're like you're afraid of being attacked and so you're trying to make yourself physically smaller so that way you are not uh identified by the predator and so you are not victim of their predations and so and that is uh it's hilarious but it's true it's it's a real thing that actually happens pay attention if you have somebody that you know that's like that and you have that kind of relationship at work or, or around your friends like that's not uncommon so, I mean, you might even see it like further. If like you're like playing around with your friends, you're like joking with your friends in the break room and this person uh, comes in that you're interested in and all of a sudden like your volume goes down. Like you're not, you're not as Gregorious as you were. You are, uh, you become more, uh, you know, more quiet and more reserved and because you're not trying to make a big splash, or you're almost trying not to be noticed, which is going to have the opposite impact that you want because any mate out there is not looking for most, most people are that are looking for a good and proper mate in a healthy fashion. 
you know, don't want a wallflower. They want somebody that's got personality, somebody that's fun. And, you know, imagine somebody be like, no, I don't want some, you know, a dull personality is kind of what I'm going for. I want somebody that's really reserved, um, doesn't really have fun with their friends, doesn't joke around, isn't funny. You know, like, ah, those are kind of common characteristic traits of like every good, uh, you know, of every mate that we are looking for, every, every social uh kind of romantic situation or relationship that we're we're aspiring to get is that it maintains those qualities you need to be able to laugh and joke with these people and you need to be able to see that they can do that <laughs> and so seeing them do that is like oh that's cool oh look at them laugh that's cool it's very nice so anyway um but yeah and so that that builds upon the behavior and these are like almost victories victories inside of failure and it's crazy because you, it's it's real like you're building up these victories and they build on each other and it gets worse and worse and worse and the only thing that stops it from happening is something has to be more painful uh and you have to have more fear of something else than those things than the fear of of that and so there's like the fomo that can kind of come up the fear of missing out right f-o-m-o i gotta hate that expression and it's become so common oh anyway you have this fear of missing out and that fear of missing out in that potential relationship when it's right there. And, you know, maybe sometimes it takes like you seeing somebody else kind of laughing and joking and flirting with this person. And you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> I should be that person. I should be out there doing that. Then that fear becomes real. That fear of missing out becomes real. And you're like, I need to do something. Right. And so it takes that, that kind of, that external stimulus to, to spur action for some people. You spread this out to something that's a little bit more widespread, something like uh, like public speaking. It's the same exact thing, same exact thing. You have, you know, you could have the ability to go out there and speak and an opportunity to go out there and speak. Maybe your boss comes up and says, hey, I want you to run this team and I want you to give a presentation to us in two weeks on your findings. And you're like, I'm terrified of public speaking. You think in your head, you're not telling your boss that because you don't want to put yourself automatically, automatically down on the social hierarchy and the professional hierarchy. So you're like, okay, well, I'm going to be a good leader and I'm going to assign, you know, Sally to run the meeting, uh, to, to do the primary talking there because I know that she loves getting up in front of people. She's got a big personality. Um, I've seen her do it before. She performs really well. It'll reflect good on me on good leadership for running the group right and putting the right people in the right positions. And that'll be great. And so you bring it up to Sally. Sally's like, absolutely, I'd love to do it. And you're like, cool, that's let's roll. And so you do this and then they go in front of the group and they perform well and you get laudits. And so it's the same kind of thing. So you get these um, these cues. They're like, this is a good thing. You did great. You ran that team great. And maybe you did to a certain extent, but what happens when you continue through these leadership roles and you're expected to run meetings kind of on your own or you're expected to head up, uh, you know, uh, a meeting on your own and, 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 you know, in these kind of public speaking requirements make their way into your life. Well, <clears throat> what you've done is you've created a kind of reward system and, and you've got that sense of relief, right? Right. When you gave you, you pushed that assignment off onto Sally, who was happy to take it. Uh, you had that sense of relief. 
And that made you feel really good. And so you're like, why, well, why would I not do that again if I have the opportunity? And especially because you get to see the excitement from Sally and you get to see the su success from Sally and you get to further justify being like, look at what I did for Sally because now she had the opportunity to get up in front of all the head honchos and she did really well and we all did well and so everyone's better off. But you missed out on these opportunities for growth and that's where we need to, to kind of put the focus on here is that we have these opportunities to grow and we can't, you think about growing, you think about, think about when you were a kid and you went through like growing pains, like physical growing pains because your body was getting bigger and it hurt. That's the case for all growth. Growth comes through discomfort. It's very difficult to grow emotionally, very difficult to grow professionally without some sort of struggle. Now, some struggles are greater than others, and some people, public speaking isn't as much of a fear as it is for others, and so there's more growth opportunity there. If you're great at public speaking or you're very Gregorious and you're very outgoing and, and have that kind of extroverted personality and you've never public spoken before, <laughs> spoken publicly before, um, taking that on for the first time isn't going to be a big deal. But as big of a deal as it is for somebody that's terrified of it and has never done it before. So even there, <clears throat> the opportunities for growth are, are variable and independent in between people. And so just because somebody else, it's something to take into consideration, especially when you're in a role in leadership, is that you may have struggled really heavily in some areas, but people next to you didn't struggle that way or, or people beneath you are not necessarily going to struggle in that same way that you struggled when you were coming up. So you've really got to take your time to get to know your people and understand where their concerns are, where their struggles are, where their unknowns are. So you can walk with them to the unknowns. And if you can't, because you haven't been there and you're not going to be helpful because you're going to be going through a hard growth moment there at the same time, but you find somebody else. That's your job as a leader to find that person, to find that other who has walked that unknown and can, and is misknown to them. And then you can, you can turn like a cat. You can turn that next room, that unknown area into a known area. You can find out that it's safe. You can operate there and you can do well. You can not just survive, but you can thrive there. But it doesn't happen without those periods of struggle. It's, it's how I've kind of put together um, the way that I, I see like the major tenets of life, the principles of a well-lived life. And it's, it's love, learning, struggling, and achieving. And you should strive to do all of these every day. Because if you're not in some way, shape, or some days it'll be really heavy on some areas than others. But, um, but you should always be striving to, to find a way to incorporate each of those in every day in some way, even if it's just a little bit. And love don't get it misconstrued as just like just relationship love or just, you know, interpersonal love and stuff like that. Think about like love and passion for what you do. And, and then what do you do with something that you love? What's something that you're passionate about? Hopefully it's at work because you're spending a lot of your time there. <laughs> so what do you do? Like you just exist there and you just work. No, you got to learn. You got to learn about it. And so that way you can become better at it. But in that process of learning, you're going to discover that you don't know as much as you thought you knew. And that can be painful. <laughs> and you, there are many different ways that you discover this. Sometimes it's live, hot, in a presentation. And you're like, you think that you've got it all pegged down and you're good to go. And then you give the presentation and you get tore up. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about this or that or the other. And it was really bad. 
Um, and there are other times you just kind of learn, like you're reading something, you're, you're reading research papers or whatever the case may be. And, and you like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know about that. I can't believe. And it's kind of like this internal beating where you're like, I can't believe I didn't know that. That changes the way that I think about a lot of these things. Like I have to kind of review what I thought I knew based on this new data. And so you, but you'll never do that if you're not, you're not striving to learn and you won't have that strive to learn. Like who wants, very few people like or enjoy reading anymore. Some, there are people out there that absolutely do, but a lot of people don't. But I will tell you what, it is much easier to read when you are reading about stuff that you're interested in. And so you find those things that you're interested in, things that you love, and then you learn, you read, you discover, and then you struggle. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. I didn't know there was so much out there. Where do I even begin? Struggle. And then you achieve. You set out little benchmarks for yourself. Like, oh, I want to know how to, say you're like, get into woodworking. Like, well, I just really want to make a cabinet set. And you're like, and you get to, and you're like, I love working with wood. I love the idea of working with wood. I, I'm going to learn. And so you start to learn and you realize that making cabinets is extremely difficult if you've never worked with wood before. And you're like, oh gosh, well, maybe I'll just make a bench. And so then you just, right, you struggled. You like had to reassess your capabilities and be like, oh, I'm going to try something a little bit different. <laughs> I'm going to try something a little bit more simpler and work my way up there. Um, and then with those smaller things, you're like, oh, I, you know, even with the cut, like, oh, I cut that piece of wood perfectly. I cut these pieces of wood perfectly and they're going together just right. Achievement, achievement, achievement. Look, I made a bench. I actually made a bench and you can sit on it and it won't fall. That's incredible. <laughs> Little things, achievements, right? And so that's cool. It's cool. It's great. It's fun. And it's, it's the markers of a well-lived life. And that's what I thoroughly believe. And so I, you can't do that without acknowledging, identifying the areas of the unknown, figuring out what you're scared of in those areas and being able to address them. And one of the best ways to do that is to find somebody that's walked there before, talk to them, and then you have kind of a blueprint to operate off of. That's it for today, guys. I wanted to, again, I just, I did this yesterday. So it's, if you saw the video, you didn't see the video. If you heard the video, then cool. You already got it. Um, but now you got a little bit of uh, actual video to go with it. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I will see you here again later this week for some more Real Resilience. <laughs>